0: If you have a Bible, you can open to Hosea chapter 14. And in case that's difficult to find, uh, you can just turn to the next page in the bulletin. Hosea is not a book that uh, people often go to, maybe especially not during Advent or Christmas time. But here we are. We're we're talking about Hosea 14. Uh, And actually, we're going through a series that uh, we've done before. Uh, But it was 2018, so that's before COVID, which means the world was entirely different, and uh, none of you remember any of this. Uh, So it'll be brand new for you, Uh, and for a lot of you, probably, it is brand new. We're having this uh, Advent series on uh, Advent traditions. So, you know, a lot of people use traditions to celebrate holidays, various holidays, throughout the year. Uh, Christmas probably is the biggest time of year for observing traditions in our culture uh, maybe you think it's a bit ridiculous how quickly after Thanksgiving people get ready for Christmas, like the next day. Um, but many enjoy the season of Advent uh, and, and traditions that lead up to Christmas. Right? So, so many people, both inside the church and outside the church, uh, they do the same things together every year around this time. It seems like just about everybody decorates for the season. We bring trees inside. Uh, we sing uh, carols and have. Uh, special music playing on the radio a lot of time Uh, we we give gifts to each other we hang lights around the house all of these things contribute to a warm bright feeling uh, in the middle of a cold dark season and i think uh, children especially love traditions like these don't you i mean uh, i know our girls made a big deal of getting the christmas tree this week and uh, setting it up decorating it Um, gk chesterton said this because children have abounding vitality they are in spirit, fierce and free. They want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> right? So um, <clears throat> I'm not here to tell you, uh, you know, do all these things. Have all these traditions around Christmas time. You know, because think of the children. Right? Uh, that's not really the point. I think it's good to consider the meaning of these traditions. Very common traditions that are celebrated in our culture. <clears throat> let 's consider the meaning of what biblical themes they might reflect, especially as they relate to the true Christmas story of the Son of God becoming a human being. Uh, these traditions uh, can be points of connection with the people around us They're ways for us to talk about the gospel with our friends and family and neighbors so this advent you know we 're going to have a rather simple series talking about Christmas trees and carols and gifts and lights so Uh, We'll see what we can learn about our relationship with God uh, through these things. So let me pray, then we'll read from Hosea. Father, teach us the good news of your son as we consider your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily, he shall take root like the trees of Lebanon, his shoots shall spread out, his beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow, they shall flourish like the grain, they shall blossom like the vine, their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer. And look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the the Christmas tree, uh, which we're talking about this morning, the Christmas tree is a rich symbol. Trees are good uh, simply as part of God's good creation. And we can enjoy them for just being what they are. Uh, But so often the Bible sees them as symbols Symbols for something, metaphors. And that's how we've used them in our Christmas traditions. It's very human to look at everything in life, to some degree, uh, symbolically. To look at trees symbolically. More so, it's, it's part of biblical spirituality. It's been part of biblical spirituality since the very beginning, to look at trees symbolically. We don't just bring trees into the house because they look pretty and smell nice and they last longer than a bouquet of flowers. Uh, Those things are true and probably good enough reasons in themselves to bring trees inside the house, right? But we bring trees into the house and we decorate them because of what their beauty and their fragrance and their longevity symbolize. And in order for the symbol to do its job, really it needs an interpretation and uh, the Bible gives us things to think about when it comes to trees. So we should think about what trees mean. There's a veritable forest of trees to be found in the Bible. And, uh, and so much spiritual meaning and wisdom communicated by them. So the great King Solomon understood this. Uh, when the Bible describes his wisdom, which was unsurpassed in all the world, it says in 1 Kings 4, he spoke 3,000 proverbs And his songs were 1,005, and he spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon. We see Lebanon showing up a couple times in our passage because it was a place where there were forests of cedar. From the cedar that's in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall, right? So King Solomon spoke the wisdom of the scriptures, and he spoke of trees. (laughs) Uh, It doesn't just mean King Solomon had an interest in botany uh, or part of his local garden club. It means that he saw in this good creation of God uh, ways of talking about spiritual truth, ways of talking about real biblical wisdom. He knew the meaning of trees as symbols for our life with God. So you'll find trees on the first page of the Bible and trees on the last page of the Bible and everywhere in between. Uh, So Matthew Matthew Sleeth wrote... um, an article in the Christianity Today a few years ago called What Trees Teach Us About Life, Death, and Resurrection. And he says, Other than God and people, they're the most mentioned living thing in the Bible. Nearly a third of the sentences of the first three chapters of Genesis contain a tree. So, uh, you know, Genesis 1, uh, God made trees and he gave them to us for, for, for food. It says in Genesis 2, is expanding on that, He says, Yahweh God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And Yahweh God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground Yahweh God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So Yahweh God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it, And Yahweh God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So immediately you see in the scriptures that trees are essential to the life of humanity. They're not just pleasant to look at, but good for food, which we need. Trees are essential to the life of humanity. Uh, there's a tree of life, which was essential to life with God, in some sense. Firstly, because God gave them to us, gave us these trees for sustenance and enjoyment, all the trees, uh, except one, except one, but only one. Right? But think of the abundance, think of the generosity of God to provide all these trees for us that were good and uh, pleasing. <clears throat> but trees are also essential here. Because God gave them to us sacramentally. He gave them to us, in some sense, to represent our relationship with him. That's what those trees in the garden were about. They represent our relationship with God. They're a definitive point of contact between us and God, these trees that are in the Bible. Uh, One tree means life to us. The tree of life means life with God. That's what that means. And the other tree signifies death. It signifies separation from God. It's, the trees mean this because God declared that meaning to us. It isn't that the trees were magical. You know, if you take a bite of this one, you'll live forever. If you take a bite of this one, you're, it's poison There's something innate, intrinsic to the trees, right? <clears throat> it, was, uh, it was that by his word, God gave the trees. And by his word... God withheld that one tree. And so our eating from those trees was not just about the trees. It's about how we responded to God. Our eating from those trees was about how we responded to his word. It was about how we lived out our relationship with God. That's the arena for our living in relationship with God. The way way God gave these trees. So when God says yes, you should say yes to the same thing. When God says no, to something, you, you also should say no to something. And if you don't, then what you're doing is saying no to God, and that's the definition of death in the, in the scriptures. Right? So rather than continue on in thanksgiving for all of God's abundant generosity, we violated his word, and therefore we violated our relationship with him. We were grasping for wisdom, but in reality it was folly to go against God. So, for our part in the relationship, we apostatized. That's the word we find in our scripture from Hosea 14 today. We apostatized. We we stood against. That's what that means. We stood against God. For our part in the relationship, we chose death. We chose death by tree. By God's grace, the story didn't end there, even though... We had chosen death in our rebellion and our apostasy, our standing against God. He made the way for our resurrection and our restoration. And all along the way, we see trees come back into the story of our salvation, our resurrection and our restoration. Right. So Genesis 21, Abraham planted an evergreen tree as a memorial to the everlasting God. There's something about the evergreen, you know, how, how long it lasts. It's always green, always green. Uh, It's a good picture of the everlasting God. So Abraham planted one as a memorial to God. So in Proverbs 3, uh, wisdom is likened to a tree of life to all who lay hold of it. In Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17, the blessed man is likened to a strong, fruitful tree. The prophets, you know, you find this throughout the prophets, each man having his own fig tree, is a symbol of prosperity. Things are as they should be, and life is abundant. Everybody has his own fig tree. Neighbors hanging out together under their fig trees is a symbol of peace. In biblical poetry, trees clap their hands and they praise God, which symbolizes God's people praising God with exuberance. Some trees, you know, can be cut down, but then they send up shoots again, and that's a picture of resurrection in the scriptures. The seeds of trees, they fall to the ground and they die. They're sort of buried in the ground, and then out of them comes new life. It's a picture of resurrection. <clears throat> trees are given for shade. They're given for shelter. Your house is made out of trees. I mean, unless it's made out of concrete, it's made out of trees, right? Cut down, milled, rearranged trees. But you live in trees. Solomon built the inside of the temple, the house of Yahweh, out of cedar and olive wood and he carved pictures of palm trees on the doors uh deuteronomy 21 someone hanged on a tree is cursed by god so it doesn't mean if you got you know a santa ornament hanging on your tree he's cursed by god or something. it means death by tree continues to be a theme in the, in the bible death by tree connected to and symbolizing our relationship with God. So the Bible talks a lot more about trees. Let's focus on what the trees mean in our passage from Hosea now. Hosea's prophecy is full of some pretty hard truth. Uh, God describes the sins of his people as terrible personal violations of our relationship with him, deserving of his strong anger because he loves us. But Hosea also describes God's Absolutely faithful love is just remarkable and strange in light of the unfaithfulness of his people Because he is who he is in spite of who you are You're loved God promises to mend the relationship. That's what he's doing here in our passage Which includes mending your part in the relationship There's two parties in this relationship One of us has broken and violated that relationship And God says, in order to restore that relationship, I've got to restore both ends. So he says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. So he doesn't just say, I will forgive their apostasy. He says, I will heal it. So he's saying, you've chosen death. I'll fix that. I'll fix that choice so that you will choose life. You've hated me. I'll fix that so that you will love me. You've floundered in rebellion against me. I'll fix that so you flourish in relationship with me now. Right? So we are called to repent, to turn away from our sin, to return to God. But we can't heal our own apostasy. Our own standing against God. We can't fix what's wrong with our humanity as it stands against God. By His grace, He does that for us. He mends the relationship, including our part in it. And He's done this in the person of His beloved Son, Jesus. God Himself came into the world, which we remember at Christmas time. God came into the world as a human to live the human life rightly to mend our human life with God, in his own human life with God. Right? So he took our broken and apostate humanity, which had stood against God, and he fixed it, and he turned it back to God in his own life with God. So because of the incarnation of the Son of God, again, which we celebrate at time, our apostasy has been healed. In Jesus, humanity has repented. In Jesus, humanity has chosen God. In Jesus... Humanity has chosen love, chosen life, as he did these things for us, as one of us in our place on our behalf. Right, so in order to mend the relationship completely, to heal the breach of our apostasy, the violations against God, Jesus also suffered. He suffered what we deserved. He suffered that in our place. So God loved us, and he sent his beloved son to die. For the forgiveness of our sins, so that God's righteous anger would be turned away from us, as it says there in verse 4, so that he could love us and give himself to us freely. To love us freely, in spite of our sin. So we had freely chosen death by tree in our sin against God. Jesus Christ freely chose death by tree in his righteousness. In order to heal our relationship And reconcile us to God. So it says, as Josh read from our New Testament reading, Galatians 3, which quotes from Deuteronomy 21. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, who is hanged on a tree. So Jesus was hanged on the tree to take the curse that we deserved. He didn't deserve the curse, but he bore our sins there on the tree. When Jesus was nailed up on the wood, the record of our debt was nailed up on the wood. And all accounts were settled. <clears throat> so when Jesus died on the, on the tree, our sins were gone. The effect that our sins had <clears throat> in our relationship with God, separating us from him, was gone. He did it in order to grant to us all the spiritual blessings that he alone deserves eternal life with God and All the fruit of the Holy Spirit's life in us. So Jesus took our choice of death by tree. And because of who he is, by his righteousness, he turned that into life by tree. At the cross. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. God's the only one who could do this. He promised to do it for centuries, for millennia. He promised to do it, and then he did it in the person and work of Jesus. 2000 years ago. So the result is our restoration, our renewal, our flourishing in our relationship with him. And God describes this spiritual restoration in botanical terms here throughout this little passage in Hosea. He says, I'll be like the dew. That's, you know, the only moisture that desert places receive sometimes is is the dew in the morning, right? I'll be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily, which is this delicate flower, uh, really probably too delicate to, to survive in the desert, but there it is. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, his fragrance like Lebanon, these cedars. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Oh, Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? I'm I'm no false God. I don't make false empty promises. It is I who answer. And look after you. I take interest in you. I care for you. I'm like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. So your life becomes like these wonderful evergreen trees. Always vibrant. Beautiful like the olive. Fragrant like the cedar. Because God is the great evergreen. Beautiful and fragrant. And wonderful and eternal. And you live in him through faith in Jesus Christ. So when you flourish in your life with God, that comes from Him. I'm like an evergreen cypress, from me comes your fruit. From His life, from His vitality in you, from His Holy Spirit bringing forth the fruit of His life in you. So Jesus says in John 15, Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So it doesn't matter what your particular brand of apostasy has been through faith in Jesus Christ, as you live in relationship with him, with his spirit dwelling in you, you will bear the fruit that comes from him. We've been talking about this in the youth group. The Fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Self-control. That's the fruit of the life of Jesus Christ alive in you through his spirit. Maybe you find it hard to believe that you could bear fruit like this. Maybe you're a crusty old adult set in your ways in the winter of your life and you couldn't possibly blossom with fruit like joy or kindness, you know. Maybe you're just a little kid bursting at the seams with limitless energy and you can't slow down enough to bear the fruit of patience or self-control. Maybe you're anxious, you can't find peace. Maybe you're harsh, can't imagine becoming gentle. Maybe you're bitter and can't conceive of a life of love. Well, in and of yourself, you'd be right. You don't have the resources to grow fruit like this, apart from God, in yourself. Uh, A few hundred years ago, when the German Lutherans uh, started decorating Christmas trees, they put apples on them apples on the christmas tree the evergreen trees right like the firs that we we all bring inside of our house they put apples on them and they put paper roses and candies and communion wafers and all kinds of weird stuff on their trees uh those apples eventually were replaced with shiny red balls we've probably got some of those in our house right with a little shiny red balls it's an apple on the tree is that the right tree for an apple Uh, It might seem strange to you, the idea of evergreen trees bearing any fruit at all, because you don't see, you know, fruit on our big evergreens around here, the kind that we bring in for Christmas. There are plenty of evergreens that do bear fruit. But adorning a dug fir with apples makes the point really well, I think. The spiritual fruit we bear does not belong to us by nature. The fruit of the Spirit, especially love, is foreign to us as sinners. And we only bear it through faith in Jesus Christ as a gift of his grace when his life comes alive in us. The fruit comes from God. The one who trusts in God's son, the one who has the spirit of God's son, will become like God's son, Jesus. So C.S. Lewis said, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life... You must get close to or even into the thing that has them. God says, I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. He says our lives can become like these vigorous, beautiful, fragrant, fruit-bearing, evergreen trees. Because this is what he is like. And he's alive in us. And we in him. And forever. So decorate your Christmas trees if you got them. Enjoy them, and remember all the trees in the Bible. Remember especially the tree on which Christ came into the world to die. Remember God promising evergreen, everlasting life in his name. Remember the Spirit making you flourish and bear good fruit by his grace. Abide in Jesus Christ, who heals your rebellion and forgives your sin, and be decorated with the fruit of his Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you have made trees for our good, for our enjoyment, for our life, which is always meant to be life with you. You've used trees to teach us, even to redeem us in the cross of Christ. Help us as we enjoy what you've created. Help us, even as we enjoy our Christmas trees in our homes right now, uh, to enjoy our relationship with you in them and through them to be able to talk about our relationship with you in Christ as we talk about our Christmas trees. Help us to find our life in your Son and to bear the fruit of his life through his Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.